Our friends from Healthy Bud just launched a new exciting product and our dog Zippo has been absolutely obsessed. Their mini training treats are packed with superfoods like lion's mane, reishi, and salmon oil to support brain health and with over 500 treats per bag and just one calorie per treat, you can rest assured that you're providing guilt-free taste and nutrition in every bite. To grab a bag yourself or a few, head over to us.healthybud.co and use our code FP20 to save 20% on your first order. We are beyond excited to announce our first digital dog training course on the subject of leash reactivity. We partnered with a fellow certified dog trainer, Aaron Gianella, in order to bring you the most comprehensive online course on the subject. Is your dog pulling on leash, lunging at the sight of other dogs or people, too overwhelmed or excited about triggers, or showing signs of stress? Or are they scared of other dogs, people, or sounds that they hear, and have trouble having a relaxed, stress-free walk as a result? And what about the human side of things? Are you struggling because it feels impossible to have a peaceful walk and outing? Are you embarrassed or frustrated by your dog when you're out with them? Are you actively avoiding activities in certain places and outings because you're worried about your dog and what they'll do? If you answered yes on any of these questions, we created this course specifically for you. For more information and to purchase this course, please check out our website at familypups.com backslash online dash courses. As you know, this is where we have conversations about the most commonly requested dog training and dog behavioral issues. And today's topic uh, is an interesting one. I feel like many moms of babies know this pretty well, which is mom guilt, right? And so one thing that we want to explore today was dog parent guilt. And so as the parent of a dog yourself, Tanya... Is that something that you feel uh, on a day-to-day basis? That's an interesting question because I think that before when we lived in the apartment, not as much because at that time we didn't have so much going on in terms of remodeling the house and I definitely had a lot more time to give to Zippo and even our cats. But if it seems like ever since we moved into the house and it's it's been taking all of our time and energy into refurbishing and remodeling, which has brought up more guilt uh, and sense that I should be do- doing more with my dog. So, yes, recently I've been feeling more of the guilt. And how does that guilt manifest or uh, how do you feel that guilt or in what situations do you feel that guilt with Zippo? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I can be 
taking more time to spend with him even even if we think about enrichment right it's like when you're remodeling let's say a kitchen or a whole floor it's like everything is somewhere and everything is missing we never know where things are so even like his leaky mat or kongs all are misplaced somewhere and i maybe that's an excuse <laughs> i haven't really gotten to giving him as much enrichment as i used to in the apartment in that sense but I've been trying to make up for that with buying him more bones and chews just from the store that it's just easier for me to give him and I know that he'll have an activity. Um, the walks are another aspect or even taking him to a dog park. I, I think he's just pretty content with walking around their neighborhood because of the bunnies and as <laughs> we talked in the uh, predation episodes there is a lot going on on our walks and he likes them but yeah i'm just looking forward to those times when we don't have to work on a house as much mm -hmm. and kind of go back to our previous routine that allows time and energy for other activities and how much do you think this guilt or this mental suffering that we go through is largely self-imposed and of course guilt is self-imposed but it really depends on the life that we think we should be giving our dog right and and how we are kind of missing the mark in terms of providing that life to their dog but as we know the lives that dogs have been living decades centuries before were maybe they weren't babied as much or um, there wasn't this expectation that we they needed so much of our attention. So do you think we're kind of overcorrecting, especially since we call ourselves dog parents, that we now believe that their lives should be as enriching, as fun, um, as action-packed as, you know, human babies? Well, I think that the lifestyle for them was also different. Uh, a while ago because they had more freedom and now they are at home and really relying on us to provide the enrichment and the walks and outings and socialization times that they need in order to be healthy and happy so i i think that that lifestyle change has really put more pressure on pet parents to provide for a dog's needs Overall, I don't think that we are overdoing it because we have all these other responsibilities where our attention and time is taken. So if we have a focused approach on enrichment, exercise, and socialization that is clearly defined and understood by us and by our dogs, we can just create that routine that we both need so that we can feel good about our relationship and how much we're putting into it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about one instance. You mentioned that dog parents might feel guilty when they're not walking their dog enough. And so we all have been there where we're trying to rush out the door. Uh, our dog looks at us very expectantly, maybe, you know, hoping against hope that you'll be taking them with you and so 
when you don't, do you think the dog is like, that sucks. Like, I really wanted to go on a walk. Or they don't feel any of that and we just kind of project that onto them. Or they do feel that and they largely kind of forget about it really easily and never hold it against us. Unlike us humans, <laughs> where we could hold many things against, you know, our friends and family members for um, certain expectations that are not met. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because whatever the answer is, is just our interpretation of the dog's behavior. So we will really never know. Um, we experience issues such as separation anxiety where we do know actually that it's a panic disorder due to our absence or the absence of any anyone who can provide company for those dogs and that can be a huge source of guilt and emotional stress for for the people who live with their dogs and it can become difficult to even figure out how to do your groceries and shopping when you have this issue uh, for some other dogs even us including i think that sometimes i just put the story behind what zippo is doing just based on how the day is going for example if i had already given him let's say a walk um, or some playtime, and then I was about to leave. Um, he may be displaying the same behaviors mm. as if I didn't take him for a walk. Yeah. But it the story that I make up in my mind and the reasons behind these behaviors are going to be different mm -hmm. than um, if I didn't. Yeah, like <laughs> like like you did enough, and so therefore you don't feel as bad in that moment. Exactly, yeah. even if the behaviors are exactly the same. Exactly. Interesting. Another question for me is, you know, what are some of, you know, you meet with a lot of clients, and so what are some of the guilty feelings or thoughts that are most common that you might hear during sessions, during the initial consultation? Uh, what are those things? Mm -hmm. Well... <laughs> It was funny. I'll give an example Yes, of yesterday when I was having a consultation with a client and, you know, we were going over what they have going on and she was telling me about her routine and living with her dog and then she just had this look on her face and with a more quiet voice, she was like, and I let him slip on sleep on the bed. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Is that okay? And I was like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's just a part of more outdated um, philosophy that we don't really follow anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or some people do. We don't. Uh, but yeah, I, that was just a very recent example. So things like uh, having your dog on your bed or your couch or furniture they're yeah these outdated um urban legends floating around that as if you let if you let your dog up on the furniture then you've done something horrible mm -hmm. and now your dog is gonna be your leader and know that they're anyhow yeah um the other one maybe related to how much time they were actually able to um, locate to training in terms of my work. So um, sometimes people have that look on their face and they're like, we 
couldn't practice as much as we wanted to this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the enrichment stuff, the exercise stuff. Some people are like, I'm walking my dog for two miles every day or two miles per walk. And the dog is still like crazy. I don't know. It's If I take them out on a hike that's eight miles, then, then he does well. And that puts that sense of guilt. Like I can't actually walk my dog eight miles every day to what they uh what looks like works for them yeah and obviously we need to figure out ways to balance the exercise and the enrichment with the socialization yeah the guilt might be more pronounced when in the presence of you right because i'm sure you know when people talk to you they must imagine that you're this like perfect dog parent you perfectly train your dog and it's kind of like going to the doctor if you're like a smoker and you know that the doctor knows the optimal way you should be living your life at least health wise and you feel so guilty because you're like oh there's this one behavior that I'm doing that I know he's gonna silently judge me for you must feel that they must feel that guilt a little bit more in front of you because how much are we really sharing to friends and family about the day-to-day training enrichment behavior stuff about our dog but when they're with you they're prompted to tell you that kind of stuff and they must feel a little inadequate as a result sometimes yeah it really depends on the situation it is it is a commitment that people have taken on and it it is that personal sense of guilt i generally do my best not to make people feel guilty and even in the initial stages of explaining what working together looks like i make a point to let people know that even though um, something like 20 to 30 minutes of training a day will be great because that will allow for a good number of repetitions and maybe different setups or environments perfect when you have the time go for it because this way you and your dog will make more progress. However, it's not always about the amount of time. Like sometimes if you just do like three or five repetitions, you're still going to kind of maintain that habit of training, um, get those reps in and, and kind of keep the ball rolling, which is just as important. So it's not always about the time. It is like, can you do it three times? And for the most part, we actually can, no matter what's going on yeah. in our lives. Yeah. So sometimes we change perspectives so that we don't end up with a lot of feelings of guilt is important because then we just kind of get paralyzed and then we oh it depends on the person's tendencies but we may start to feel even worse and then you don't do even more and you just kind of can spiral out so the less guilty we are the more proactive we can be Uh, and even for me as I was preparing for this podcast one thing that I've decided to do while we're still um, remodeling the house is that I'm going to start to block to put it on my calendar just put Zippo's walks in my calendar so I know it's there and um, I just have the time to do it Well, great. Uh, We're super excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, We have invited two authors of a research paper entitled Disenfranchised Guilt, Pet Owner's Burden, which is a long way of saying this is really the first research paper of its kind to study dog parent guilt. 
and pet owner guilt in general. So let me introduce each one of these authors. Our first guest is Dr. Jen Kieran McCullough, uh, and she is an assistant professor in the School of Social Work at Colorado State University and lab director of the Serious End of Life Narratives Research Lab. Her practice and research focuses on enhancing the psychosocial quality of life among individuals and families facing grief and loss. She worked for two decades as an oncology and palliative care social worker in hospital, hospice, and nonprofit healthcare settings. She works with Lori Kogan and a team of human-animal bond researchers to ascertain how the health decline and death of companion and service animals impacts their guardian's psychosocial well-being. And as I just mentioned, her partner in crime is Lori Kogan, a PhD, and she is a professor of clinical sciences at Colorado State University. She is the chair of the Human-Animal Interaction Section of the American Psychological Association and editor of the Human-Animal Interaction Bulletin, an open access online publication supported by the Animal Psychological Association. She has published numerous journal articles and book chapters and co-edited books including Pet Loss, Grief, and Therapeutic Interventions, Practitioners Navigating the Human-Animal Bond, Clinician's Guide to Treating Companion Animal Issues, Addressing Human-Animal Interaction, and Career Paths in Human-Animal Interaction for Social and Behavioral Scientists, and given presentations on topics related to human-animal interactions in both psychology and veterinary medicine venues. She is currently engaged in several research projects pertaining to the interaction of the human-animal bond and veterinary medicine. So without further ado, introducing Lori Kogan, PhD, and Dr. Jen Kieran McCullough to the podcast. Well, welcome, Lori, and welcome, Jen, to the Family Pups podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. So let's start with this. You mentioned that prior to your study, dog-related guilt research was limited to health issues, in particular end-of-life and relinquishment. So what catalyzed your desire to focus your efforts on researching the guilt associated with more of the day-to-day care for a dog? Sure, I I can start. Um, I think... um... I think really that the catalyst for this was that Jen and I are part of a research team and um, we all are um, animal lovers and, and dog owners. And um, and it, it had occurred to me that I, I I have had a lot of guilt associated with having a dog in the past. Um, guilt for not being home enough or guilt for not walking them enough or guilt for when it was too cold outside. So I made the walk really short um, when it wasn't really too cold for my dog. <laughs> it was too cold for me. Um, and so, so we got to talking about it as a, as a group and recognized that, that we all kind of felt some of that guilt. Um, and so then I felt like well, this actually is probably really important because as, as we talk about how pets are like family members and there's a ton of research that talks about parental guilt um, that it probably generalizes to how people feel about their dogs. I think for me, too, I, I echo what Lori says about feeling the guilt as a dog owner, um, having a, especially during COVID for me, um, being home was great because I could be here, but then I also had to be on Zoom all the time. Um, so my dog was like, 
you're here, but why aren't you paying attention to me? Um, and so I also worried about what happens when we go back to work, uh, what that will feel like. So I think the timing was just perfect to add that additional layer of all the wonkiness that COVID-19 brought into our lives. Yeah, and especially on the training end, it was a lot of people thought, and it, it was indeed a good time to bring home a puppy because during the pandemic, they were working from home and it was a good time to be with the puppy and raise them. And then the question, okay, well, now I need to figure out two days a week or three days a week or five days a week. And definitely like daycares, dog walkers are some of the resources that people ask me about a lot, but also some of that anxiety or stress or just inability to be alone for the puppies are just some of the the results that we see from those pandemic puppies that were adopted during the time and now that people are going back to work and how do we navigate that whole situation and I'm sure yeah the the levels of guilt for people due to that change in routine are also increasing as well. And we'll be back right after this break. Are you looking for exceptional veterinary care for your cat or dog? Good Heart Animal Health Center is here for all your pet's needs. Their happy, helpful team provides full-service care for all stages of your pet's life. They have separate areas for dogs and cats, helping to create low-stress checkups for pets and their people. Every new client receives a free pet name tag and bottle of wine as a thank you for giving them a try. Goodheart has two locations in Denver, at Broadway and Alameda, and now open in Cherry Creek. For more information, visit goodheart.vet. Now back to the episode. Let's zoom out a little bit. I think everyone knows what the word guilt is and what it feels like, but for the sake of this discussion around your work, could you define for us what guilt is? Why do you think we feel guilt? What guilt does to us? And in this context, what parental guilt is? Sure. Um, I mean, I think guilt is, is that really unpleasant emotion that we have when we think that we've done something wrong. Um, and it really is not tied in with a fear of punishment or anything like that. Um, in fact, it's not even really tied in with the reality of whether we actually did something wrong or not. Um, so we can feel guilty about things that we just think that we've done wrong or that we've harmed somebody else or, or some animal. Um, I mean, there are some positive parts of guilt in that I think that it helps drive social behavior. So we tend to do nicer things because we don't want to feel guilty. Um, but it's, it's also tied in with anxiety and depression and a whole host of kind of negative things, um, especially when it, it's more, uh, more aggravated or people tend to feel guilty a lot. Jen, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I love what you're saying about it. And it's also this guilt we feel for something that really hasn't even happened yet. Um, and I think for me as a pet owner, it's like, I even don't do things just because of something that I think could potentially cause harm, but may never have harm. So I think it impedes behaviors or going away on vacations or it really kind of these guilty feelings get embedded. And I, um, 
don't in, even end up doing anything and I'm feeling guilt for even feeling the thoughts, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and so you were mentioning, Lori, that there's all these bad outcomes related to parental guilt, like depression, anxiety. But you also mentioned that parental guilt is necessary to create social behaviors that will be good for the group. And so could it be argued that anxiety and depressions are the consequences for not doing the things that guilt is meant to spur you on to do? Well, I think just to clarify, I I think that guilt can help lead to social behaviors and good behaviors. I don't think it's necessary. I mean, so I don't think it's a prerequisite that people can do good. They can take care of their children. They can take care of their pets and not have feelings of guilt. Um, So I think that they're kind of separate. Um, and I think sometimes it, it can lead to increased good behavior, you know, whether it be your child or your pet. Um, but then lots of times, as Jen was just alluding to, I think it can really also get in the way, mm-hmm. you know, and I think taken far enough, then it could lead to even feeling resentful, you know. So um, if you always feel guilty, if you leave the house, you know, because you're leaving your dog alone, maybe you end up feeling a little bit resentful. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting in the study how it circles back to that idea of the ideal pet parent and the actual pet parent that we are and the contrast in between those two visions that are just completely made up in our heads and our personal experiences and the groups um, that's around us or that we look up to and how that can be totally different for different people and yet people will still feel guilt no matter what those images look like so it's really universal in that sense i think about like social media now right and what that has done i think to to many people right but thinking about the images that you see of people with you know going on vacations with their dogs to all these fabulous places or you know they bought their cat the like the most amazing cat tower ever known to man and it's like we have I think that just exacerbates that but I think it's really interesting when we think about ideals um, we think about uh, you know is this something that we get at is it based on what the social roles that we hear um, and how we're supposed to be a certain way is the ideal parent or what is a good parent Um, and they're Good parent can be so many different things, but when we buy into what we see and what we hear, I think it just adds on to that guilt um, that we have. Mm -hmm. And I I thought it was interesting because our definition of ideal might have been supercharged because of the internet, right? So I like to think of if you're a dog parent in 1986, your ideal might be composed of what your neighbors are doing, what your friends and family are doing with their dog, and maybe couple TV shows and a magazine article, and that might compose what your definition of what the ideal dog parent might be doing. But as to your point, Jen, we're inundated with images of the idealist ideal dog parents, whether it's real or not, and we just feel even more guilty because that definition of ideal is almost beyond grasp. And I think it, it perhaps not even the addition of social media, but but I think that what is an ideal pet parent has changed, you know, um, you know, what, what the expectations are. And I see it kind of across the board from everything from, 
you know, 20 years ago, people weren't taking their dogs to dog daycare, um, you know, and when they went to the veterinarian, I mean, the, the quality of veterinary care wasn't quite as similar to human medicine, you know, so even the expectations within veterinary care and then even dog foods, right? I mean, so 20 years ago, we had, you know, just starting to get some of these, um, prescription diets and things like that. But I mean, now like at my grocery store, there's like a little refrigerated section for refrigerated (laughs) dog food. That's not even prescription food. That's just, you know, so, and the whole natural and grain free. And I mean, so, so I, I think it's a, it's a a combination of several factors Mm -hmm. that people feel like, yeah, it's never, never enough. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about these guilt factors. So in your research study, you list out uh, uh, many, many dog-related guilt factors. So what are those guilt factors? And what are the top things overall in your study do you find that dog parents feel guilty about as it pertains to their dog? Yeah, the the main categories that we found that people feel guilty about are uh, the amount of time or attention that they're giving their dog. Um, and so maybe they don't feel like they're giving them enough time or attention or playing with them enough or walking them enough. Um, certainly the being away from home, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier. So, and and that might be work related, or it might be that they feel bad. Like if they want to go out of town and they want to board their dog, um, you know, or if they want to go out and socialize, um, And then kind of associated with that is just leaving their dog alone, you know, so they feel guilty when they're leaving their dog, even for short periods of time. So those were kind of the overarching areas that I think that people felt the most guilty about. Perfect. Well, I think that one aspect that is on the other side of the spectrum is also like this microcosm of... um, dog friendly places where you can go with your dog and all the activities that you can do with your dog which sometimes if we go somewhere outdoors like some sort of a brewery and it's like every single table has a dog and I think it's just such an interesting way of how we've woven in those pets into our activities and oftentimes like us as parents we would plan our weekend around uh, taking Zippo to the dog park and after the dog park we're going to do this and that so yeah on the other spectrum is like how can I incorporate my dog into what I'm doing as much as I possibly can and maybe that's just a measure to avoid the guilt associated with it but also maybe some of that the parental vicarious living, right? Living through the joys of uh, the the well, the being that you're taking care of and seeing them have fun and how that makes you happy. Because I feel like we experience that mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. When I um, adopted my rescue dog, she was eight weeks old. So she was still, you know, a baby to meet her mom and see all of that. But they said, just imagine that everything you do with your dog is going to be the first it's ever had. And so like they plant the seed, like you've got to do amazing things with your dog because you've given her a second chance in the world. And 
you know, no, just like regular kibble, you've got to give her the top notch of everything. And so I think that guilt like started from like minute one, like I went out, okay, do I have like, what can I get to make sure she comes home and has the best possible life? So I think I got kind of like wrapped into that from day one. (laughs) Yeah, I even saw in your study that people felt guilty when uh, they allowed their dog on the furniture, for example. Or the other way around. Or the other way around, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, many of us have had those disagreements with uh, family members on where are appropriate places for dogs and where are not. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and maybe when it comes to guilt, sometimes you just need to have one person who has an opposing opinion that plants the seed of that, like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Is this okay? And then the guilt just comes in so easily. Just like parenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really interesting um, And through so much of the study as well, and maybe you all were seeing that as well. It's so similar that what we're finding relates to what it is um, for a parent and a human child. Yeah. Even the other day, we were, um, we were at a store where we can bring dogs in, and our dog Zippo is a little bit reactive. So there were a couple of dogs, and he was losing it a little bit. And then later on, when we came back home, I was like, I guess this is what it looks like when your, your toddler throws a tantrum in the supermarket, and you're <laughs> worried about everyone looking at you and what they're thinking, yeah. and how fast can I get out of here? I need to get here? out of here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little insights into parenthood <laughs> right right i definitely feel that when i go to the to get a beer with my dog and i'm like everyone else's dog is well behaved and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk through some of the common changes dog parents make in their behaviors thoughts and feelings to alleviate some of this guilt and i think one of the things that we found that and that I thought was just a little bit disturbing was we had about 40% of people say that they reduce their social activities because they feel guilty about their dog. Um, and I think that's one of the nuggets of this study that we need to pay a lot of attention to. Um, you know, so if, if that is getting in the way of them leading the kind of life they want, and so maybe it's increasing feelings of depression or isolation, um, I think we need to pay attention. Um, you know, and, and in that same vein, we had about a third of people say that they spend less time with their family than they want to because of their dog. Um, and again, I, I think that some of these trade-offs that people are making to feel less guilty about their dog are things that we should probably be paying attention to. Do you think dog parents almost feel more guilt than maybe parents of babies? Because obviously in our society, there's more places you could bring your baby compared to places that you could bring your dog? I think it has the potential for that. Um, I don't know that I'd say that they feel more guilty, um, but I'd say that as far as, I mean, because it is a little bit different. I mean, because we don't leave our babies alone, obviously. Um, but people can stay, but, uh, People could, to your point, people can stay at home and decide not to go out to, to stay with their baby, but there are mm-hmm. avenues for them or places that they could take them to alleviate some of that guilt and just get out of the house obviously right so i hear what you're saying is it yeah i mean maybe that there's less opportunity to choose healthy behaviors and not feel guilty mm-hmm. that there's less opportunities for pets than there are for human children yeah 
Did you find that women or mothers felt higher levels of dog parent guilt? Less because of biological factors that they didn't give birth to this dog, but simply how society views them and expects them to be caretakers in our society. And yeah, absolutely, we found that. Um, and that is not surprising um, because, it, you know, there's a ton of research that looks at um, parental guilt um, and gender differences and um, child rearing responsibilities and gender differences. So again, I think that it's something that that we have to pay attention to. And you're right, it's not it's not a biological thing, but it, there's all these messages that we're given. And, um, you know, and I've just done some uh, um, additional research looking at really it, it's across different cultures. You know, what, what um, most every culture, women are the ones that, that tend to do more of the child rearing stuff. They tend to feel guiltier, um, things like that. I think, too, for me, thinking about um, what it is like, what, again, we go back to what is a good parent um, or what is a good mom. And we're taught, you know, these gender roles uh, when we're growing up about how we're to be a good provider, how we're supposed to be the ones sharing the love and the emotions. And we did see, you know, that women are the ones that are having the most concerns about guilt in our study. Um, I think to me too that there's this concept called emotional labor and I think as females we're trained that we're going to be the one that that does the emotional work mm -hmm. and I think with pets oftentimes um, our guilt can get wrapped up into their emotions um, so if they see anxious seem anxious then we're going to feel anxious and want to help support that mm -hmm. so how are we compensating over that so I think it sometimes kind of gets wrapped up um, in each together I should say um, so I think as females, we do that emotional labor. We do the loving, caring, calming of emotions. Mm -hmm. and, and were there other groups, whether it's age or gender, that stuck out as outliers in, in terms of interesting findings that they felt less or more guilt uh, outside of women and mothers? I mean, we did find that, that older folks tended to report feeling a little bit less guilty. Um, it's, it's unclear whether that's because Maybe they are home more. Maybe you know they're not um, they're not working, so maybe that they have more time to spend with their pets, or whether there's something about their life experiences where maybe they feel less guilt as they as they get older. Um, but we did find that. Um, but we didn't find other differences in things like education level or um, whether they had human children or things like that. At, at least from my life, maybe it has something to do with the fact that maybe older people went through the baby parenting process already. And so one thing I see in my life is that parents of babies for baby number two or three, they feel a lot less guilt about their skills because they're comparing themselves to something more realistic than maybe something a little bit more ideal when it's their first time around. Right. I certainly feel better about knowing, not that I'm better at it, but I probably do feel better at the, you know, the more dogs that I have, because I'm starting to get understanding of that as well. Um, so maybe as well, you know, folks that are in their 60s, 70s, you know, that they've had opportunity to have several pets um, and learn how to cope with that guilt. Um, we also see that, you know, and community can be supportive as well. Um, maybe other dog owners support that process. We didn't study that, but and I wonder, for me, based on my experience, 
it is pretty common that when a couple when a couple has a dog and they contact me it's very it's much more common for the woman to be reaching out and setting up the training <laughs> and doing everything and for and, sure and i wonder how that relates <laughs> to the role that women play uh, in the life of the dog and the caretaker versus the man and uh, because i've definitely noticed that in terms of the numbers I'm not, I'm not at all surprised um, because mm -hmm. it just, you know, as women take the majority of the responsibility in human child care and human child rearing, um, I think oftentimes it's the women in relationships that do that for their pets as well. So, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. Right, and, and seeking out, I think oh, in this role, we also seek out resources, support. I think that's definitely more of a, seems to be a female role in this emotional labor. I'm curious for you all what you see in your work with your clients. Do you ever see guilt appearing? And how does that appear in your work? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I do. I do see that. And I was mentioning this a little bit in the intro in terms of how much exercise are we able to provide our dogs? Or even sometimes when people are not aware that it's not just exercise, but it's also enrichment and different activities that they can be doing just to kind of balance activity with something like chewing on a bone or working some sort of a food dispensing toy that can help balance the dog's experience and energy and kind of redirect them. And sometimes when I um, start to tell people, well, there is chew category and licking category, and people look at me like, oh, I should be, how <laughs> I'm going to buy, <laughs> you know, a food dispensing toy. And then I go, you can actually find things within your home. And then I start to tell them what items they can use. And I don't mean to make them feel guilty. I want to show them how they can help their dogs find balance but sometimes i definitely see that and the other one is some of those the more outdated advice when it comes to the bed or the couch and if you let your dog there your dog is going to think this or that and this it means this thing and it just becomes like much bigger of a deal and i'm like hey if you want to cuddle with your dog on the couch it's okay you don't need to feel guilty that is like something from the past. Just do what feels good to you. And uh, yeah, just I, you know, you have permission from someone who's certified and who can tell you it's okay and people feel good about it. I, I think there's another dynamic too where it, it might be similar to when you go to your dentist and you haven't been flossing or you go to your doctor and you ha you've been smoking like, like a chimney and no one knows in that they're seen as this like, like, standard of which you are consistently falling short so i think maybe some of that guilt gets exasperated in the presence of a of a trainer because they're like well oh here's all these things um that i know i'm not doing and then here's all these other things that i'm just learning that i'm not doing too and it might be kind of like an avalanche of guilt uh, in the presence of that trainer a confessional <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes 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 right mm -hmm. uh, and I think time relates to the training as well um, in terms of if, you know, you, you are setting up schedules for training, personally speaking, setting up schedules for training and then life and everything gets in the way. You don't have as much time to practice the skills. Um, yeah, to, to have a good dog as, as well as being a good parent. 
so let's talk about work-family conflict and it's how it's associated with parent parental guilt overall and how that compares to what you call work-dog conflict. Sure. Um, work-family conflict is just this idea that people struggle with feeling like that their work responsibilities um, conflict with their responsibilities and things that they want to do with their family. Um, there's a lot of research that talks about just how that creates a lot of angst for people and, and a lot of anxiety um, when they feel like they're they're being pulled um, in two different directions and that they're often not enough for either one of those roles. Um, so our theory was that people probably feel the same way about the conflict of having enough time and energy to take care of their dog. Um, in contrast with what they need to give at their work setting. And so that's, that's why we studied that too. And, and so we did find it, it's quite similar that, you know, that that conflict exists for what people feel like that they want to be able to offer their dog and what they're actually able to offer, um, you know, because of, of work responsibilities and things like that. So let's talk about your research overall. I mean, we've been talking about little bits uh, here and there. So what was kind of the hypotheses that you conjured up um, for this study, and what did you find uh, once uh, the research came to a conclusion? Sure. I, I mean, I think our basic hypothesis was that we would find that guilt related to a dog um, would, would have a lot of similarities to how people feel about parental guilt with a human child. Um, and then similarly, we felt like that work-family conflict would look quite similar if we just substituted um, responsibilities and, and the care that people want to provide for their dog. And so that's ultimately what we found was that, yes, indeed, people have very similar feelings about, about these conflicts, about feeling guilty overall as it relates to their dog, just as they would with their children. Um, and so because these things are related to anxiety and depression and overall feeling crummy, um, I think it's really important that we look at these aspects and then we think about what what can we do? You know, how do we support pet owners, um, you know, in a couple different ways? I mean, how do we support them as a society? You know, and then we were talking earlier about pet friendly places and pet friendly restaurants and things, I think. I think that's a move in the right direction is, is allowing more latitude for people to bring their pets with them more often. Um, and then I also think that it's becoming, I wouldn't say common, um, but it's, it's more common that workplaces are starting to think about as, you know, people are coming back into the office post COVID, um, you know, are there things that we can offer people that make that transition easier? So it is that, um, letting them bring their dog with them to work? Is that giving them some type of flexible schedule so that they can go home at lunch and let their dog out? Um, you know, maybe it's a hybrid model where they're coming in just a couple days a week. But I think that it would behoove companies to start thinking about people's pets as important family members. And when you want your employees to be happy, then we need to look at that aspect of, of their life as well. I love what you're saying, Lori, and thinking about the work environment. I know at Colorado State, maybe about a year and a half ago, they sent around a survey for the 
um, employees of the university saying, if we had a dog park on campus, would that, you know, make you want to stay here? Um, if we had a brewery attached to the dog park, would that make it even more? So it's kind of like thinking about what childcare services could look like um, from a four-legged perspective. Um, and really, I think it could set businesses apart. I remember like when folks started bringing their pets to work, like, oh, I want to go to a business where that's what's there. I want to support them. Um, so like, how wonderful would it be if we could choose our employment or employers who provide these extra services so that we know that we won't be having to hold that guilt while we're at work and we can concentrate on that, on that job? Yeah, one, one challenge I could almost foresee is that you know maybe the needs of a dog might not be perceived same at the same level as a need of a child. A good example might be uh, in my prior workplaces, the obligations that a single person had was just seen as less important as the obligations of someone who was married, right? And so like, oh, I have to go home and do this for my child, pick up my child, for example. But if you were like, oh, I have a date tonight, it wasn't seen at the same level, even though that they were probably to them, those were equal needs. Well, as somebody who doesn't have children, I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think that can sometimes be a problem. Um, But I think one of the interesting things um, and the reason why I'm hopeful is that regardless of how important people think pets are, at some level, I'd like to suggest maybe it doesn't matter. So as we are in the work environment that we are now, where companies are competing with one another to get the best employees, they're going to want to offer services and and opportunities that that make people happy, that make them want to come and work there. And so I think that, that... whether they think that pets should be important or not isn't going to be as important as does your potential or current employee yeah. think that that's important? Do they think that that's an important benefit? Totally. Um, and I think that that will kind of help drive things. The other thing I was thinking about when, when you guys were talking is that there are more and more stores in the town that I live in that let customers come in with their pets. Well, for people that, you know, want to bring their pets with them, so they want to go to the dog park and then they want to run errands and, well, am I going to go to a store where I can bring my dog in? Absolutely. You know, so, so I think that there's a couple of different forces that are driving to, um, to kind of open up avenues that the other thing, and maybe this is a little bit tangential, but, you know, as we, as we've kind of had this surge of emotional support animals where, um, and um, service animals. And so people are looking for ways to, um, and I'm not saying that there are not a ton of legitimate emotional support animals and service animals, but there are some folks that are, are using these avenues to be able to take their pets with them to more places. Um, and so as we have a more open environment, um, then then perhaps people won't feel the need to kind of go through these avenues that, um, that can ultimately kind of harm some of the things that that were set up to protect people. Yeah, I'd love to go back to kind of comparison between dog parent guilt and parental guilt. And I wasn't sure if I read this explicitly in the paper, but are the feelings of human parental guilt and dog parental guilt, are they kind of on the same level in terms of scope and scale? Do people feel it 
that much in comparison and do they feel it like in the same instances of time like i don't know if you made that comparison but is that something you guys thought about um i i don't i want to be careful about what we compare so i mean we do not compare like scope of time or anything like that i mean when we talk about the percentage of people that admit to feeling guilt or admit to feeling conflict between their work responsibilities and their responsibilities with their children versus their pet, those things are similar. So, um, but I think that it would be beyond what we studied to say is the severity as, as high. Um, And I think there's so much individual aspects, you know, and, and we know that. I mean, we know that some people that that actually they do schedule their entire life around their dog. Um, and and then there are other people that that just do it occasionally, you know, that that, you know, and it's the same thing with with human children. I mean, there are some people that that their entire lives revolve around their children and they feel intense amounts of guilt. Um for 20 years, you know, and then there's other people where it kind of comes and goes, you know. If you, you'd asked about our, our research and some other things we're looking at, I think um, one thing we're looking at is for those uh, women that have breast cancer and what that experience is like for them going through treatment um, and knowing that there are going to be some times where they can't provide all of the care that they used to provide, whether they're hospitalized or um, they have a chemo treatment and they're they're tired and can't do all the walks they used to yeah. do, and so we're looking we're looking at that as well to see for folks that have, um, you know, the, a breast cancer, right? That it's something that's out of their control, um, and how does that relate to their experiences mm-hmm. as being a an animal companion, animal parent? Yeah, that's a whole other realm of potential guilt is the guilt yeah. of not feeling good enough or not having enough energy yeah. or. Um, not having enough time, um, you know, so even people that perhaps when things are going right, they're not really prone to feeling guilty. They might feel really guilty, you know, once they get sick and they're not able to walk their dog or, or care for them the way that they'd like to. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of explore that. And have, you know, going back to what communities and companies can do to support uh, people with dog parents, have you kind of started the conversation with some companies who might be interested in saying, hey, Lori and Jen, like we want to devise a policy that would make our employees with dogs really happy. And can you follow up with us and let us know what that policy might look and sound like? Has Have those conversations happened? That would be like a dream job, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. it, Lori? <laughs> We're ready yeah. if anyone's listening. Um, we'd love to contract. Um, no, I don't. I, no one's come to me. I don't know for you, Lori. But I think like big companies, it would be they're starting to do like um, pet insurance along with human insurance um, for children, um, for four-legged children. Um so, yeah, I don't know. There's so many things, I think, through all of our research that we do, um, looking at um, bereavement as well, that it would be amazing for folks to have the opportunity if they had lost their pet to an accident or a death through maybe an illness, that they could have, you know, a couple of days away from work because it is a significant loss in their life. So there are all kinds of different policies, I think, 
through the work that we do, Lori and our team. That yeah, um, and nobody has been um, knocking down my door to uh, to get my advice on that. Although there are some really neat um, uh, um, documents out there to help companies set up um, policies and procedures around having dogs at work, um, but. But I do think that this is going to be a trend that we're going to start to see more. Um, you know, everything that we've talked about is kind of leading in that direction. You know, the the pressure to be a better and better dog parent, um, the pressure to to obtain, recruit, and and retain great employees. You know, all of these things kind of to me speak well of that we're going to continue kind of making changes that go in this direction. I mean, that that seems like the perfect segue um, right there. I mean, if companies or people or anyone interested in your work want to get in contact with you, learn more about your work, uh, what are the best ways for them to do that? Sure. I am, I'd be thrilled if, if anybody um, just dropped me an email. So, um, so feel free to just share my email and happy to answer any questions or explore like how we kind of move this field forward. Yes, feel free to share mine as well. And if there are any breast cancer survivors listening uh, on treatment or finished with treatment, we'd love to hear about their experiences so we could um, share about the study with, with you all as well, if you wanted. And is there any um, kind of future research, future hypotheses, future thoughts that have kind of germinated as a result of this research that you're able to share today um, in regards to your work? Sure. Um, We're starting to look at kind of the next phase in that, you know, when we look at parental guilt and we look at work-family conflict, both those things are, are intimately tied with feelings of depression and anxiety. And so, the next stage would be to look at and say, well, do is the work-family conflict related to your dog um, and parental dog guilt, are those things related to depression and anxiety? And so those are the things that we're looking at next. And again, kind of creating this foundation that says, this is something we really need to take seriously and look at how we can address. And, and I'd and I love to learn a little bit more about your guys' partnership. Obviously, you guys have collaborated many times. What is the process of collaborating with another researcher? How has this collaboration come together? And what makes this collaboration work between the two of you? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think that this is just such a delightful relationship um, because we, in my opinion, I feel like we share this interest in, in human-animal interactions. Um but we come from it from very, very different backgrounds. And so all of my work revolves around human animal interactions. <laughs> um, and so most of the people that I work with are veterinarians. And, and then the type of research I do is more quantitative. So I'm a very numbers person. And so this is like such a fantastic fit with Jen, um, you know, because she brings such a different lens to the research that we do. And, and it's the same with our entire research team, that we each come from a different background. Um, and so some of us are more quantitative and more, more qualitative. Um, and so it just makes such a delightful, rich um, study group, research group. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, it's I am probably the newest to join the team. So it was quite an honor to be a part of this proliferative um, 
like team that like we probably have five to ten ideas brewing all at the same time. <laughs> Typically, Lori's the the brainchild as well. <laughs> um, so, so, what do you all think about this? And we're all like, yes. Um, so it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm drawn to the story, the narrative. I come to this as um, through my work in grief and loss as an oncology and palliative care social worker. Um, so, and growing up with my dad as a veterinarian um, drew me to this work as well. So it's we're just a fun team, um, and it's it's an honor to be a part and to really do work that has practical implications and can help people. Um, with their relationships with their pets um, and with their veterinary team, we we look at the whole care system. Well, great. Well, th- thank you so much for your time. We want to be respectful for your schedule, uh, but please, uh, we you have an open invitation to join us at any time to discuss your future work. And thank you for the research and the insights that you provide to our community. Thank you. We appreciate. Thank you so you. much. It was it was wonderful to share. Thank you both, and hopefully you'll get lots of fun people say, "Oh yeah, I have guilt. How can I help? How can you all help me too?" <laughs> yeah, so. we're gonna we're gonna get you some uh, some private company contracts uh, soon, so that'll be a good exchange. <laughs> <laughs> we would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the time and for your interest in our work. We appreciate you. Just listen to the Family Pups podcast with your hosts, Tanya and Charles Lim. Subscribe to our podcast to catch our latest episodes. If you like the show, please make sure to share and review us on your favorite podcast app. And for links to anything we mentioned in the episode, check out our show notes. And don't forget to visit familypups.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes of the Family Pups podcast, including episodes on separation anxiety with Melania DeMartini-Price, Unpredictable Aggression with Michael Shikashio, Fearful Dogs with Debbie Jacobs, Puppy Socialization with Marge Rogers and Eileen Anderson, and many, many more.